Good morning, good morning. Well, I will uh, confess I almost wore my t-shirt that says Papa that I got when I became a grandfather a month or so ago because my grandson's in the back today. Exciting. First time I've ever taught about parenting with a grandson in the room, so that's a new experience for me. So I'm going to start with a bit of my... um, my journey as a parent. Uh, many of you know uh, some of my story, but I'm going to start with that. So each, each week we start the class, uh, the teacher is going to talk a little bit about their experience as a parent. So first, a look at my parents. I, my parents waited eight years before they had children after they got married. And I have one older sister. So my dad was 31 when I was born. Now that's a little different than me and my, my first son. Um, While in high school, I attended a Christian conference that made me think about a lot of things, including my views on parenting and family. So I would have been like 15 or 16 when I went to this conference. And one of the things that I considered even in high school was potentially having a larger than normal family uh, for the sake of God's kingdom and God's commands. And so that's something I was thinking about. So when Stacy and I were dating, And even during our engagement, we talked a lot about the possibility of a large family. So for me, large was five. For Stacy, it was four. So we just added them together (laughs) and got to nine. Uh, And we became parents really early in our marriage. So we got married during our senior year of college. Uh, Got married in October, early October. We had our first child in early July. So if you want to do the math there, you can. But that was really, we, we immediately became parents uh, in, our, in our marriage. So that was exciting. Uh, so we didn't necessarily set out in order to do that, but that's what the Lord brought our way. And it was, it was fun and exciting. So, uh, so we had a child, graduated college, changed churches, changed states, started seminary in six weeks. So that was kind of our welcome to being parents. And though we were from very supportive families, we lived uh, seven hours from my family, 10 hours from my wife's family. We had a six week old baby. We only knew a few people in North Carolina. And so we were forced um, in some sense, we, we were forced to find a new set of people to help us as we, as we started this journey of parenting. And so we were left with the Bible, the Holy Spirit, phone conversations, and the church uh, as far as being parents. We had three children in three years, then a three-year break, uh, then some more came. And now 25 years later, we've got, we've got nine, uh, one daughter-in-law, grandson, uh, soon-to-be son-in-law. Um, our youngest is seven, and so my oldest is 24. We drive, we've been driving a 15-passenger van for 17 years. And it's for sale. So if any of you would like to buy it, we just downsized to a smaller vehicle. Um, I look into our, into our home, what our home looks like. I'm an introvert. I have to work really hard to be around crowds, like my dinner table. Um, <laughs> Stacy's an extrovert. She loves the chaos of a full house. Um, I thrive in realms of habit, order, spreadsheets, and calendars. And Stacy is great at being spontaneous and very present in the moment with wherever she is. Uh, we've homeschooled all the way through. I'm on my third time reading through Narnia out loud to kids. Um, 
I've been attending youth group at this church for 13 years and I've got 11 more to go. <laughs> I'll be 58 when Jack graduates. Um, we've changed and grown over the years. Uh, we're not the same parents we were for our older kids. That's just the bottom line. Our convictions and principles are still there, but we've, we live it out more naturally, more wisely, more kindly than we did in the early days. Um, Stacy and I have spent more years married and parenting than we did single. Um, so it's more than half of our life. So you've got four teachers over the course of this five-week class, me, Daniel, Ben Garner, and Mike Knoll. So together, that's 107 years of parenting uh, among the four of us. That's 29 kids, and I didn't even count the grandkids. Um, but if you add up like all the child years, like all of them together, that's 451 years of parenting, like if a year per child, year of a child's life. Now, Mike said, what kind of math is that? I don't, I don't think that's the kind of math that counts. But when, when, I, when I say that, I, I want to tell you what I mean and what I don't mean. So that's not 451 years of awesome parenting. That's 450 years of learning, sinning, failing, receiving forgiveness, growing, becoming wiser, being corrected by others, um, and, and the hard part about parenting is you can't like put your parenting on pause while you read a book or go to a seminar. Like you're just, you're in it, you're in it and you, you, you can't stop it. Uh, your kids are right there needing you. Um, and if you're here this morning and you don't yet have kids, I mean, that's really good for you that you're thinking about, thinking about that ahead of time. I don't bring up our experience as teachers um, so that you'll just take the things that we say without question, thoughtfulness, or debate. Though I would much rather you take the things that we say, people in your local church, than just somebody on YouTube or a podcast that you don't know. Uh, it is wise for you to learn to parent from people in your own faithful church community than it is from outside some so-called expert. So a word for the not yet married, there are few of you in here. Um, if you're still under your parents' authority, this is a good time just to learn from your learn from your parents as they parent you well. God calls you to honor and obey them. And so now's a good season for you to do that. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land. Um, now, you could be in here and be single, an adult, and not yet parenting, or married and not yet parenting. But if you're single, um, there are four things. Uh, so this is, th this came from, uh, th these four things actually came from one of Daniel's talks to the men in the church at a men's meeting last year. Um, and so for those potentially listening to this later, here are four things you could focus on. Number one, choose Christ now, like follow Christ. That's one of the best things you can do uh, to impact your parenting. So without a growing relationship with Christ, you'll not have access to the grace that you need as a parent. Uh, number two, choose your church well. A faithful Bible-believing church is such a huge asset to parenting. Um, like I said, for us, it was a huge means of grace because we left family, left people, left our friends, moved up here, and our church became our community to help us learn to parent. Uh, choose your spouse well. So as you're seeking a spouse, don't choose just based on your dreams of the marriage without kids stage. 
like consider the significance of being unified in your approach to parenting and child rearing and choose your career well. Looking down the road to see how your career path will impact your family is very important. So we got five classes today, Theology of Parenting. Uh, next week will be Daniel teaching on six to 12 year olds. We're not doing these in order, which is why I'm telling you. Uh, class three is Mike Knoll, 18 plus. You don't stop parenting just when your kids leave the house, that you still have a relationship with them. Uh, class number four, 13 to 18 year olds. Uh, that's Daniel again. And then uh, class five is Ben Garner on the discipline of the Lord for zero to six years old. So if you're, if you're here for the youngins, you have to make it all the way through we do encourage you to come to the classes that don't even relate to your particular child's age uh, because it's just good to have wisdom for all of those things. So I don't want to convince you today just by experience, mine or others. The takeaway is the real authority for how you ought to parent is the Bible. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about how we parent. So applying biblical principles that we learn from Scripture and the Holy Spirit takes wisdom and humility and it takes community. So what I don't want us to do is to individually take our Bibles and go away, just us and the Lord, and, and come back and say, I've got it all figured out. That, that's actually not how parenting and the Bible works. It takes the wisdom of the community of faith to help us see things clearly. Um, so I hope that you will avail yourself of the experience of other believers around you. Um, and even though, uh, you know, the collective wisdom of the guys teaching these classes over the next few weeks is, is pretty broad, we don't parent your children and we don't, we're not in your situation or your circumstances. And so we may know things, situations like yours or have experienced something like it, but that doesn't mean we've actually parented your children. And so there are unique aspects to every family that, that we have to apply biblical principles to. So if I say something that sounds, that doesn't seem connected to how our family looks at all. Like, I, I understand that. I mean, I, we have a particular family dynamic in my household uh, with having a lot of kids that's different than a diff that's different than a different family. And so we we understand that. So I've got kind of four uh, or three main points and then some time for Q&A at the end. Uh, point number one that I want us to do is stay alert to the influences uh, on your parenting. And then we're going to talk about uh, committing yourself to thinking and parenting Christianly. And then we'll talk about a few passages on laying the foundation of theology of parenting. So let's pray and then we'll jump in. God, help us to rightly apply your word to the task of parenting. Um, we need your help to do that. Lord, you've given us so much to help us. And yet we, we are aware um, of our own need for wisdom and grace and your mercy in our lives. We're aware that it's not always obvious how to apply biblical principles to what you've called us to. And we need, we need help, the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we need your help to grow in the fruit of the Spirit um, so that we can represent you well to our children uh, and to those around us. So help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so stay alert to the various influences on your parenting. So how do we learn to parent? So I've, I've, I've put some space there on your, on your worksheet. So I just, I want to take two minutes. I want you to jot down at least one thing for each of those five categories I've given you. Like what does the media tell you? Uh, what does social media tell you? What does science or social science tell you? Um, 
what have you learned from your own parents or extended family? And what are some influences from your peers? These could be good things or bad things. I'm not, I'm not trying to judge them. I just want to see how, do, how are we influenced in how we parent? So take just a couple of minutes. Just jot some bullets down there. All right, just a few more seconds there just to come up with some ideas. All right, so what are some uh, influences from established media? What are some things that you hear on how you should think about parenting and children? TV and film, yeah. so family is there. The entire situation is created for comedic or dramatic purposes. Okay. Like they're, they're just tools to like, they're, they're never good, right? Yeah. If you want a dramatic family, it's probably not a good family. If you want a funny family, it's probably not a good Yeah, just to pick on TV, like how would, how would the typical sitcom present any father? Stupid. Yeah, so incompetent stupid, childish. So when you think of how TV presents a father, it's almost never responsible, wise, right? What about something else? Lots of news nowadays says, is the message of don't have kids. Yeah. Too expensive, you're gonna destroy the climate. <laughs> yeah. Don't have kids. Yeah, yeah. Don't have kids because of the climate. Overpopulation, other things. Okay. If you have kids, it's like don't don't do anything wrong. Kind of really support their own self identity. Whatever they think is right, you're supposed to support it. Yeah. So there's a real message from from media about not um, not telling your kids what they ought to think or how they should live. Right. That they should determine that themselves. What about social media? Anything different there, or more of the same? <clears throat> There are lots of videos of the exact perfect moment in a okay. child's life. Yes. So what you present on social media is is not the reality of your household, right? So you get this this uh, this this perfect scenario, which doesn't actually really exist in any family, um, for more than a few seconds, and then it's kind of staged. So that that's you can't achieve that. Okay. What about science, social science, psychology, psychiatry? Yeah. There's a lot of talk about like childhood trauma. Okay. Yeah, so dealing with childhood trauma, there's a lot there. In the past, a lot of talk about self-esteem. Okay. I don't know if that's, that's still true and emphasized, but it used to be. Yes, good. A lot of talk about identity, you know, these days. Often a lack of <clears throat> reference to the Romans. Okay. Yeah, so no concept of the problem, the, the problems that we have actually are inside us and not not only outside us. Good. There's a decent amount of discussion on how 
discipline should be tailored to the kids because one kid's if you do the same discipline to two kids, they react differently to the same thing. Okay. I know that's certainly true for me and my sisters. Yes. Someone yes. Be like, I get to go to my room by myself. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how you approach discipline and even just the whole the whole child development aspect. So are there some things that we should learn there? Yeah. Ab- absolutely. There's a lot of things that we can learn there. So I'm not saying that all of these influences are bad, uh, but I do want us to, to at least be alert to them. What about influences from your own family or your own parents? How that influences how you think about parenting? How well you responded to like your own parents' parenting. Okay. On the permissive to authoritarian okay. range. Yeah, so how you think about permissiveness or authoritarianism uh, has a lot to do with how you viewed your parents and how, how they executed that in their own parenting of you. It yeah. also could be if you don't, if something that you didn't like what your parents did, you might yeah. think, okay, I'm going to do something different. If anything, I think that this influence would be stronger than yeah, this is a huge influence on our parenting, and it's not always conscious. We don't always think that, like, actually how I parent has a lot to do with how my, my father and my mother parented me. And I, am, and I'm, I don't always necessarily evaluate it carefully. Like, um, and one experience that every parent has is that first time when something comes out of your mouth that your father said or that your mother said and that you said you would never say to your kids <laughs> like that happens to all of us that those things come out of our mouths and they're they're ingrained in us um, so it's good to think about those to think about those influences of your parents or, or ex- even extended family on how how you viewed family and those could be really good influences but they still need to be brought under the authority of scripture to see how they line up with how we should how we should parent. What about peers? Anything particular from peers or friends, coworkers? Even just the chase, like whatever, whatever your, your peers of the best behaved children, it's easy to just chase their method. Yes. And there's, and there's a hundred things going on there besides yeah so so you may look around and say I want to imitate I want to find out what that family's doing and do more of that okay it's good it's so appropriate to have children yelling next door while we teach this class I think so okay so so that's good so we want to be we want to be aware uh, and I'm not saying all of those influences that we receive from other places are bad, uh, but we do want to be aware that these influences should be placed in their respective, in their respective um, uh, positions of importance and emphasis so that they don't, when they come in conflict with what the Bible teaches, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to evaluate those things when a principle from Scripture comes against something that we hear from uh, our peers, our parents, psychology, um, the media? So we, we just have to, as Christians, be conscious of those things. Um, so the way parents handle discipline and spanking uh, requires a lot of wisdom. Um, and it needs to be compared with what the Bible says. But the study of child development also can help us understand some things that are going on in those kinds of scenarios. But we have to know which one is the, is the authority and which one is helping us understand some other aspects of that. Um, the values of our culture often may feel right to us, 
but they should be challenged by the priorities of the Bible and the Christian gospel. All right, point number two, commit yourself to think and parent Christianly. So when we're talking about um, parenting Christianly, I don't even know if you're supposed to use that as an adverb, but I did. Um, what do we mean when we say parent Christianly or be Christian parents? Because I want to be careful with what, what we mean when we say that, because we could mean you're Christians and your parents, right? And that's actually not a terrible way to think about it. First, I am a Christian and I'm also a parent. We could mean making your family look like some Christian or cultural ideal that we kind of make up, like leave it to beaver. We could mean shaping your home and your relationships with your children in such a way that obedience to God is the primary goal. And now I could make that statement and I could, I could say it in a really positive way and I could make that statement and it's actually not the whole truth. Actually, obedience to God is not the primary goal for your children. It's that they would have a right relationship with God and that's not actually found through, strictly through obedience. That could be legalism. Um, so as I was thinking about this question, you know, parenting Christianly, I thought, what are the kinds of questions that we would bring to a five-week class like this? So what kinds of things over the next five weeks would you, would you hope to be addressed in some way? Like, why, why would you come? Why are you here? I guess in some way, you know, you mentioned the Bible mentions a lot about parenting, but what does it say? Yeah. You know, kind of like, you know, we, we read throughout the Bible and there's a lot of different items to it, but having like a, a summary of what actually is biblical wisdom and kind of knowing where in the Bible and what does it say, kind of have a, I don't know, a kind of more of an, an idea in our heads of what the Bible says about parenting. Good. Perhaps of just even just thinking about how it relates to some of the other things in science and how we can try to evaluate it in the later sessions. Excellent. That's good. I kind of gather it's going to happen because literally the discipline of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, yeah. some of the titles of the other classes kind of indicating literally from the Okay. Yes. Good. Somebody else. What else would you, what else, what other topics would you want to be addressed? Or do you think the person sitting next to you wants to be addressed? <laughs> I'm, I'm just intrigued to see where the, the church's stance, this church's stance, falls on parenting. Okay. Regionally, within the states, there's pretty diverse stances on, on parenting, and then in each specific church, is pretty diverse standing. Good. So just yeah. Where are we coming from? Yep. Good. I like it. Anybody else? Well, I wrote down if and when to have children, how many children, discipline methods, what about educational decisions like public school, Christian school, homeschool, um, how do you teach children to be respectful and obedient, how do you rear children to be independent, happy, well-behaved, productive members of society, how to guarantee your children's salvation, and um, how strict should we be on, on how we allow the world's influences to come into our children's lives? Those are a few things I wrote down that may or may not get addressed in the rest of the classes. But I want to I wanna kind of do an exercise. This is the next page. I, I kind of want to do an exercise to have you think about the benefits of parenting 
as a Christian. Okay? So th- this isn't the same thing as saying these are all the things you need to be doing. Actually, what I want you to think about here is the significant advantage that you have as a Christian in trying to parent your children. Okay? There are benefits that you may not be aware of as being a Christian parent. So I've got two columns here, Christian parenting and non-Christian parenting. So first, for the Christian, the Christian has a God-given book that explains the purpose of parenting, the method of parenting, examples of good and bad parenting, what to do when things go wrong. We have commands, promises, warnings, and truth. So as a Christian, we have a book that tells us a lot of what we need to know as a parent. The non-Christian, they can experiment with what others have done. They can try what seems to work, depending on your own self-decided goals. They can lean on science to tell them how to change behaviors. But that's, that's what they have. That is the authority that they have. The, uh, the Christian, the Christian has a heavenly father. Just think about that. Like, the Christian has a heavenly father built into our, into our reality and worldview to learn from and to emulate. How God treats us gives us incredible insights in how we ought to treat and love our children. The non-Christian, they have earthly fathers to learn from. Some have admirable qualities. Others were terrible examples, but all of them are flawed. Now, we also have that as Christians, right? But we have a heavenly father who is perfect in all the ways that he relates to us. For the Christian, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit working in us and in our children We have promises from God regarding sowing and reaping. We know that heart change is only possible through God's work. So just think how different that is than the world. For the world, it's all up to the parents or teachers or mentors. There's no no acknowledgement of the supernatural. The only help that people could get would be luck. And since there's no supernatural help, they're left to their own, their own tools, guilt, fear, and reward to try to manipulate behaviors. Think of that distinction. We have the Holy Spirit. We understand the Holy Spirit has to work in the lives of our children to bring about the real change that they need, and the world does not believe that. For the Christian, we know that the world is corrupted and damaged by sin, And that parenting will be flawed, but that's not the end of the story because we have a redeemer. We have a redeemer, a savior who fixes broken things and broken people and who cleanses us from all evil. For the world, there's really no solution when things go wrong. They don't have a a genuine solution when things go badly. For the Christian... We've experienced God's forgiveness, mercy, and grace, and can learn to extend that to our children. For the world, they can attempt to be nice or tolerant, 
but have no basis for mercy or generosity. For the Christian, think about this. We have a community that's committed to our own growth and our own good, including helping us parent our children. And this community is also committed to helping our children grow up to be godly. For the world, they're on their own unless they find some community that shares similar values to them. But these communities built around sports or academics or the arts can easily become idols. And if, if those communities are built on the, commu- the, the, the culture's values, those are often fads that come and go. But as Christians, we have a community to help us. Next, for the Christian, we believe in the providence of God. We believe in God's sovereignty over all things. And this means that God foreordained that you would be your kids' parents. Like, just let that sink in. Like, the children that you actually have, or one day will have, God purposefully gives them to you to parent, not to somebody else. Even, even if you, you know, if you adopt kids, like God's God, all that is in God's providence that you are the person God wants to raise this child. And whatever, whatever your children's challenges are, you know, strengths are, God designed them to be under your care, under the, under his providence. There are, there are no mistakes in this, but for the world, kids are often treated as accidents or interruptions to our life and plans. So knowing the providence of God really helps shape how Christians think about parenting. For the Christian, we actually know what real success is as a parent. We have the dominion mandate. We have the greatest commandment. We have the great commission that shape our goals and what we're trying to accomplish. But for the world, all they can do, the highest goal can be successful or happy people. And finally, for the Christian, we have eternity to work toward. We look forward to it. Earthly success is not all there is. But for the non-Christian, whatever is gained or achieved in this life is all there is. So when we think about being like parenting as a Christian, I don't want us to just think about methods and about, you know, uh, commands or promises. I actually want you to think about the huge benefits that you have as a Christian that your neighbor who doesn't believe does not have. Now, it's not that God's not perhaps being involved in their lives and, and working in them to redeem them and draw them near to him. But you start, you start out of the gate with so many advantages as a Christian. We have God's truth. We have a relationship with God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have community. And those are things that we often can take for granted as Christians in the church. I, w- I would tremble to try to parent without any of that. And so we should be grateful for those benefits that we have. So when we talk about kind of uniquely parenting as a Christian, um, it's got four things. I don't know where they really belong on your worksheet. You just have to find a place. So we are ambassadors. That's our role as a parent. We're, we're, working on behalf of God in our children's lives to help them to be right with God and, to, and for them to join God in his own mission. We don't own our children. 
we, we are stewards of what God has given us, and we're ambassadors for him to our children. Uh, that idea really comes, comes out in this book by Paul Tripp called Parenting, um, that we're ambassadors. We're, we're not, we don't have an ownership model of parenting. We're ambassadors uh, for God, for our children. Uh, so another uniquely Christian thing is we're actually working towards something that we can't accomplish. We're working toward heart change in our children. We want their heart to be, to be open to the work of God and obedient to God and sensitive to God, but we actually can't make that happen. So as a Christian, we're, we're seeking to bring about a thing that only God can do. And that's part of what it means to parent Christianly because we can't, we can't manipulate certain things into place so that our kids believe or submit themselves to God. It's, it requires a work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to bring them heart change and salvation. Number three, our, our example, expectations, and relationship to our children should all be saturated with the gospel. So we are sinners in need of God's help. And our children are centers in needs of God's help. And one of the things we have to do to be a Christian parent is to understand that grace, God's grace, is this whole banner over what we're doing. It's not, it's not about, it's not strictly about obedience and submission and respect and behavior. It's, it's a, it, we're trying to demonstrate to them God's grace in our lives and how God's grace is available to them to help them. And, and to speak to authority, um, you know, some of the guys are going to talk specifically about authority and how that works itself out in parenting. But the first thing for the Christian parent to remember is we are under God's authority. Like we actually as Christians don't get to decide on our own how to parent or what we should do in certain circumstances. God actually commands us. And so the first step to teaching your children to be under authority is for you as a parent to be under God's authority. All right, number three, laying a foundation for a theology of parenting. So we're going to look at some texts together and make a few comments, and then we'll leave some time for questions. So um, it's interesting to me, and I hope it is to you, that the first positive command in the Bible is about becoming parents. Have you ever thought about that? Like the very, very first command in Genesis chapter 1 has to do with parenting. Chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, when you go to chapter 2, you'll see there was a command chronologically that came before this where God told Adam, You're not supposed to eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. But the first positive command is to have children and fill the earth and subdue it. I mean, as you think about parenting Christianly and under God's, you know, under, under God's rule, like that's just a pretty big deal that the first thing you hear, the first command to a person is get married and have kids and fill the earth and subdue it. So that should shape in some sense how Christians value marriage and family. So from this, I would draw that we should not intentionally separate marriage from having and rearing children. It's part of the goods of marriage. 
We shouldn't separate those things. There are exceptions, and some folks are, some people are not able to have children, and God has a plan for that, and that's also in His providence. But the kind of the, the normative thing for, for God's children is to experience marriage and parenting. And notice that right from the beginning, parenting has a purpose. Like in the, in the dominion mandate here, the, the, the purpose is right there. And it's to accomplish God's mission in the world. So as Christians, we're going to take the dominion mandate, you know, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And we're going to add to that the great commission, which is also worldwide, that we should go into all the nations baptizing and teaching, right, with the gospel. But even from the beginning, there's this picture of God's, God's idea of parenting has, has a purpose, and we add to the dominion mandate here the idea of making disciples of all nations. But that's also, uh, that also comes, we don't want to remove the idea of having children and families out of the, the Great Commission. Like one of the ways that we live out the Great Commission is through teaching and baptizing and teaching our children to obey all that God has commanded. So God's first positive command should shape how we think about parenting. Uh, next, children are a blessing. Psalm 127, probably familiar to many of you. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain to rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. That sounds a lot like parenting right there, doesn't it? For he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. So, what are we going to get from Psalm 127? Well, for one, I think Psalm 127 is an appropriate antidote to the poisonous and destructive attitude towards children in our culture. This attitude can even creep into the church where children are viewed as inconvenient, as people who will restrict your freedoms to be happy or your pursuit of your other more important goals. Psalm 127 says, no, children, children are a blessing. Now, please note that Psalm 127 doesn't say that parenting isn't difficult. Like if you're thinking, John, uh, I know that Psalm 127 says children are a blessing, but that doesn't feel like a blessing right now. This isn't saying that parenting isn't hard, but children are a blessing. So as we think as couples um, about when and how many children we should have and um, like how, how all that works, like there is a principle here in Psalm 127 that I think should be helpful to us. And for one, being pro-life is so much more than trying to stop abortion. It means welcoming and treasuring life, whether through childbearing and marriage or through adoption and taking on orphans. So children are a blessing. Now, there are movements in Christian circles which take this passage and say, Psalm 127 means you should have as many children as possible. I don't think that's what the text actually leads us to believe. Each man's quiver is, has a different capacity. Um, however, Psalm 127 is a check on our own tendencies to view children as inconvenient, loud, 
messy, expensive, stress-inducing interruptions to our otherwise fulfilled lives. Children are a blessing. Um, so even though parenting is hard, parenting is a, children are a blessing. So we want to be careful not to define the good life, the good life as time before children or time after children leave our home. Like we don't want to define the good life that way. Um, you know, one of the blessings of parenting, which we don't often talk about is, is parenting is one of the unique ways God sanctifies us. Right. I had a good friend uh, when we were young parents that would say, John, God has a button on each of your children. And when you need to be sanctified, God pushes that button. (laughs) Right. Like one of the blessings of children is that God uses our children um, to help us grow in the fruit of the spirit and in our own sanctification. But as you read Psalm 127, don't miss the grace that's there in 127. Um, It's mysterious. So there's this sowing and reaping aspect that we see in parenting. But there's also the the beginning of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. In other words, it's only possible with God's help and God's ministry. So God's, God's designed it so that we're supposed to work hard in our parenting. And yet we're also supposed to trust God in our parenting, unless the Lord watches over the city. Those who stay awake, stay awake in vain. So Psalm 127, children are a blessing. Um, The goal of parenting, and here I just want to look at Psalm, or sorry, Proverbs 3 for a second. Um, You know, I don't know about you, but when I read Proverbs, uh, even though I am a parent, I often read Proverbs for what they're telling me to do. And don't always read Proverbs for like just just how it's written. So Proverbs 3 here is a father talking to his son. Okay. And like we're going to have a Proverbs series in a few months. And uh, I'm actually preaching from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in that series. And it's such a great verse to apply to our own lives. But... I want us to read it right here in the context of God is telling us what the goals of parenting should be. Okay. There's so much here in Proverbs three that kind of frames like what is our goal? Uh, What is our goal for parenting? So I'm going to read this is one through 18. So if you want to if you want to follow in your Bible, you can. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. 
Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. What jumped out there is some of the goals of parenting to you. I mean, just pick three, five, six, and seven there. I mean, this is what I want for my children. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I mean, that's something I want to apply to my own life. But as I, if, as I think about what is my purpose in parenting? What, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to get my kids to do that. Like whatever talents they grow in, whatever skill sets they get, whatever education they do, whatever vocations they take. Actually, this, if we get this, this is, this is the primary goal that they would trust God with all their heart. Verse 7, just think of that. Th- think, of, think of how much of your parenting is trying to make verse 7 happen in your kids' lives. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Verse 11. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. And this is something we just have to teach our kids over and over again. The Lord brings discipline into our lives and it's for our good. Verse 12. The Lord reproves him whom he loves. Blessed is the man, verse 13, who finds wisdom. We want our kids to gain wisdom and and to treat wisdom as better than silver or gold or anything else that they could desire. So I I just think, I mean, the book of Proverbs as a whole is is, of course, a great resource for us as parents. But even as we frame what our goal should be, our goal isn't just obedient, happy, cheerful children. Our goal is to actually help our children trust God above all things. We're not just looking for well-behaved kids. We're not just turning kids into successful adults, which is a miracle every time it happens that children become responsible adults. It was a miracle in your life when that happened. It was a miracle in my life when that happened. It was God's mercy that 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 happened. But it's so many of our goals that we need to be aiming at are right here for us to consider. And, And having a good sense of what those goals are helps us not focus on less important things in our parenting. And some of the other guys teaching on specific age groups will help flesh that out. Um, One passage I didn't write here um, as far as how do we accomplish this is is Deuteronomy 4.9. So this could kind of go under our method so we've got three things under our, our, under our method. Number one, Deuteronomy 4.9, and this is what it says. Take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen 
unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children and to your children's children. So, so as a theology of parenting, I would say one of the first things you have to do is be so aware of what God has done in your life that that bleeds over in how you talk to your children about who God is. God has been merciful to me. God has brought my heart from death to life. God has given me many opportunities to learn his word and apply them to my life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So one, keep your soul diligently. That's, the, that's such a strong command for parenting, isn't it? Like the best thing you can do for parenting your children is for you to maintain an active, living, purposeful, meaningful relationship with God. Like that, that can do way more than whatever parenting methods we can figure out. Keep your soul diligently. And then um, Ephesians t uh, chapter four, this isn't typically viewed as a parenting passage, um, but I, I, I heard this recently in a lecture uh, talking about how we help people in relationships. And, and the statement was this, our method is humility and love. Our method is humility and love from Ephesians 4. So just think about that. We think of our motivation being love. But actually, I'm trying to say more than just we need to love our kids and let that motivate us to try to use these other methods to help them grow up and to be mature people. Actually, our method, the, the way that that's going to be accomplished in our kids' lives is through our own humility and love. Ephesians 4 says this, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, that's a great description of what we need to parent well. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. So our method is humility and love. It's not a recipe. It's not, uh, it's not if you just learn these particular skills, you're going you're gonna to nail it. There, there are skills we're going to talk about and, and practices we think should be in your family that, would, that will help and, and lead to that. But actually our, our method is humility and love and us growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, um, hopefully we're all going to kind of recommend some stuff. Since I'm first, I'm just going to recommend the Trip Brothers. Um, so as far as what influenced me uh, in parenting, uh, one was Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's been around a long time now. Uh, it's, it's so great because it, it talks about how we're not able to accomplish heart change without God's help, uh, but yet it gives us some real practical ways to, uh, to minister to your children. Um, shepherding a child's heart. Uh, for me, I was, I, I don't know, we, this was in our first two or three years of parenting. We did like a video series through this with, with uh, Ted Tripp, uh, watching him on video, and it was really instrumental for us. Um, we had some other books that helped us with methods and were very, helped us be effective with our very young children. Uh, but this was a great, um, this was a great thing to kind of frame what is this thing that we're doing with parenting um, and how should we think about our children's hearts? Because some of your parenting and some of your discipline is not directly connected to the heart. It's actually helping them learn how to behave. But you need, you need uh, shepherding a child's heart to help you think about that. Uh, his brother, Paul Tripp, wrote Age of Opportunity. This is for teenagers uh, or parenting teens. 
these uh, similar ideas. And then Paul later wrote this kind of as a, hey, some guys aren't using this well. Uh, they're taking some of my ideas and making them rigid rules that I didn't try to do. So 14 principles, gospel principles that can radically change your family. Um, recommend that one. Questions? Thoughts? I know I didn't get into any of the practical stuff. That was the joy of me going first and giving the theology of parenting. Uh, but I'm happy to answer questions. You described your parenting life as starting uh, with maybe a lot of intentionality and maybe some, some rigidness. And then now maybe a little bit more relaxed in some ways. I think that's probably a common story for a yeah. lot of parents. Do you think, would your advice be to your 26-year-old self to lighten up? Or would you actually say, like, you actually, it would actually have been impossible for you to get to the wisdom you have now if you hadn't, like, gone through that period? Is that, like, period of rigidity? Yeah, I think both, I think in, in some sense, yes to both. I, I can some, in some ways, I would look back to my younger parent self and say, I made a big deal out of some things that didn't need to be made big deals about. Um, in other words, that uh, um, I'm much more apt to discipline outright like disobedience and rebellion where I was trying to uh, earlier in our parenting years, you know, control the environment of my house more than just that. Um, but also that er that early work in our in our older kids. Part of, our, part of the reason we're able to be more relaxed later is because our older kids were a good influence on the younger kids. Like they had a habit of obeying when we told them to do something and that was trend. I didn't have to do all the work to transfer that to my younger kids because my older kids were, they were, they were, pretty, they were pretty obedient uh, because we'd worked really hard in the early years to help them be obedient. So. So part of it is, I mean, so you start, you know, you also have kind of the sinful laziness, which says, I don't want to get up and deal with that. It's going to be okay. Right. Um, so there is some places where I should be more diligent. My older kids regularly tell me now that, uh, that we let Jack get away with way too much. And sometimes they're right. Like sometimes we told him to, you know, get off the tablet or turn the TV off and he didn't, and we just didn't do anything about it. And we should have. Um, but in other cases, um, you know, we, we don't discipline accidents and we don't discipline children being children. We discipline children being disobedient. And where that line is, we used to interpret just about any, any digression from what we thought should happen as being disobedience. And that's just not the case. Sometimes that's children being children. And I think we've, we've grown in our assessment of some of those things a bit. But certainly part of it is, you know, as, as you get older, you, you do, you can get lazier and I don't want to advocate that. Uh, but I do want to say, you know, the, the Lord, the Lord changes hearts. Um, and some things just aren't as big a deal as I felt like they were when I was 22. Something else? What did you say the name of the third book? Uh, the third book is Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles by Paul Tripp. It's a more recent book than the other two. Um, the chapters, so here are his 14 principles. Calling, grace, law, inability, identity, process, lost, 
authority, foolishness, character, false gods, control, rest, and mercy. Um, and that's where I got the idea of ambassadors. That's where he starts in that book is like, what is our job with our kids? It's to, it, we're, we're representing God to, to speak into their lives, to help them obey God. Well, I'm happy to stick around and answer more questions, but I also want to end on time. Um, so anything else you mean to speak to the whole group? Or again, I, I get the pass because I'm not teaching the, the youngs or the olds, but think, really think each class they're going to have times for Q&A. So if you actually already have questions for a particular thing, it would really help those teachers if you go ahead and give them to them. Right, if they, so they, they can know they're actually addressing questions that you have in some of the classes. So if you got questions for the young kids, you know, give them to Ben or Emily. Um, for older kids and teens, give them to Daniel. If you got questions about adult children, give them to Mike. Um, that way they can be making sure they answer some of those things. Um, but again, what I want you to take away, our method is humility and love. Like that is the way that we influence our kids the best. And us having an active, vibrant relationship with the Lord is invaluable in passing that on to our kids. They, they will learn more from how we respond to the gospel in our own lives with our own humility, uh, with our own need for God, uh, than they will just from our, our rules and how we handle cell phones and media and movies and tablets and music. So, um, so watch your own soul. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are the perfect parent. As our Father, you show us so many things about how we ought to be merciful and gracious to our children. And yet, Lord, you, you tell us to obey, and we want to help our children learn to obey. Learn to obey us so that they can learn to obey you. Help us to do that with gentleness. Help us to do that with, uh, with us being under your authority. And Lord, I, I just pray that we would experience the fullness of the, the blessings of being a Christian and being a parent. So many gifts that you've already given us just by being Christians and in the church that can help us navigate these challenging waters. So, Lord, we know that we need your help. We need the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would increase the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives so that our children will, will not just see perfect parents, but see humbled Christian parents who need the grace of God and walk in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it coming early on a Sunday morning. It's excellent. I'll put my notes, so we'll have the audio for this uh, online, and I'll put actually my manuscript notes there if you want to know anything I said. It'll be there.